Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me today I have Logan. How are you, Logan? I'm doing well, Alex. Uh, happy birthday for yesterday. It's uh, good, to be, good to be back here and, uh, and celebrating some pretty positive results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, when I realised that we were playing on my birthday, we had uh, Rochdale and I thought, you know, we generally get a win on my birthday, but uh, given the way the season's gone and how we tend to do against those uh, lesser teams. Um, I did think there might have been a one nil defeat coming, but uh, luckily it wasn't the case. It was a it was a fantastic win in that game. Um, we'll, we'll get to that game in a little bit, but I, I think since we haven't done a, a podcast in a couple of weeks, it might be good to uh, just refresh everyone on um, results since that last episode, uh, starting with that Wigan game, and we'll sort of run through all of them. Um, any big talking points out of them? Because I know, especially recently with the uh, the Wimbledon game, there was a an interesting talking point, I guess. It sort of split Hull City Twitter with uh, the Wilkes penalty, but uh, a few things like that we'll, uh, we'll cover along the way. Um, but, yeah, let's start with that Wigan game. Um, biggest, I think it was the biggest turnaround between two league fixtures between two sides since the 1920s, going from an 8-0 defeat to a 5-0 victory. Um, and uh, w- what a way to get revenge. I think, I think I saw the stat that all five goals were scored by players that were in the starting 11 that day against Wigan when we lost 8-0. So uh, certainly must have been keen to to rectify things and to, to put right things from that last game and uh, certainly did so. Oh, absolutely. Any time you beat a team 5-0, the, uh, you know, you're entitled to uh, be pretty happy with those celebrations. And I think that, as you mentioned, the result was a, an interesting one given the fact that the last fixture was probably on uh, on, on Sky cameras the the biggest, mm. most insulting uh, defeat that I, I certainly that I can remember in our time, or certainly since you and I have been following City. Uh, and yeah, you know, it was it was a really difficult and uh, bitter pill to to kind of swallow, being the the butt of uh, of well, not just national jokes because I know that a lot of the English press talked about it, but I remember seeing it um, being tweeted on all sorts of um, European uh, Twitter feeds and and things like that as well. So it got international recognition. Such was the nature of the loss. So to be able to turn it around and uh, you know respond with a with a five nil uh, victory, it's it's certainly the best way to rectify uh, you know such a, a disappointing result. And uh, I guess that. We talked about it before when we previewed that that Wigan fixture. I mean, uh, Michael was too scared to come on the show because he didn't want to be the omen in case uh, in, in case that result went poorly for us. But um, there was a lot of changes in the in the teams, and uh, as we mentioned, the difficulties that Wigan are facing probably played a lot uh, into the, the those fixtures and, and the way that we were able to fashion the victory in the manner that we did. Uh, and, and fascinatingly enough, Wigan haven't had two poor results since then either. So, yeah. um, you know, credit credit to Wigan. I think that they've tried to respond from uh, fr- from that the, the shellacking that we we did uh, administer to them. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because you look at that game and you think, well, you know, 
5-0 win perhaps was because of the quality of the opposition. I think they were playing quite a young goalkeeper. Uh, certainly some of the goals that were scored, you could argue a more experienced goalkeeper might have saved them. Um, but you look the next week, I think, or the very next game when they played uh, Lincoln, I think, and they took the lead against Lincoln and, and were only very narrowly defeated. Um, so they've certainly started to string a couple of results together since then that, uh, you know, they might not have got the points on the board, but but certainly starting to look a lot better and play a lot better. Uh, than that 5-0 scoreline would have suggested. Um, and then I guess from our point of view as well, I mean, you mentioned the changes in the side, but um, even just looking at, you know, Wilkes scoring, I think it was his first career hat-trick in that game. Um, and and he certainly, um, as the title of this episode would suggest, he, he certainly got his scoring boots on now and he's been a big factor in, um, you know, we look at the five games that we're going to talk about, taking 10 points from 15 points, uh, is certainly no main fate. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's coming into a great run of form at the right time of the season. Absolutely. And he is the, I guess, our, our marquee goal scorer or the one that we, we do expect to, you know, be the most prolific for us. So any, um, you know, any run of, of games where we've got him scoring, uh, you know, it's incredibly promising for us to see. And, and we, we delight in seeing that. And, you know, long may that continue as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, you know, Lewis Potter getting back amongst the goals. We've been a bit critical of him lately. Uh, you know, he, he, he's been... He, he, he's been in bad form, but he's been in bad form in the sense that, you know, he's still getting in the right positions, but just wasn't able to find that finishing touch, which, you know, you, you get frustrated when your strikers or your forwards aren't scoring goals, but at least if they're getting in the right positions, you, you know that there's a goal around the corner. And certainly he, he managed to get one against Wigan. Um, I, I don't actually think, though, that he, he actually managed to score in any of the games after that point. But You'd hope that having got amongst the goals in that Wigan game, um, perhaps that gives him a bit of confidence back and um, hopefully can find his scoring boots over the next few games. Yeah, we sure hope so. And I guess that reflecting on that December where there was, uh, you know, all that speculation around his contract, I think that there was some people were probably getting a little bit too far ahead of themselves that, you know, he was almost being hailed as the, the city messiah, so to speak, um, with we need to get him signed up because of what he means to the future. And I'm not making a, an argument against that. I just think that uh, certainly over the, over the month of February, we've we've seen, I guess, the rawness that, uh, that Ken Lewis Potter does have. He's still a young player. He's still incredibly green. Absolutely is there, you know, some incredibly strong signs there. And he's certainly a player that, we do, you know, look for in the future to to really, um, you know, get City going, and we hope that he's part of the furniture for a long time. But just those the glimpses of of the the frailties and things that he still does have a long way to to go on um, has has really shown in the last couple of months and months, and that's with with full respect to him because, as you say, there's still so many uh, promising insights and, and and things that we do see in the games that he is still doing extremely well so I mean if Ken Lewis Potter is out of form at the moment um you know if this is what out of form looks like then I'm pretty happy with it yeah definitely and um yeah I mean look it's easy to forget that he's only 20 I mean he was he was amongst the first team last season as as as, I guess a substitute most of the time but it's easy to forget that this is essentially his first full season as a pro um you know starting most weeks um and and so he's gonna he's gonna um you know, drop off at various points in the season. He's not going to have that sort of consistent output that, it, that an older player would have. Um, you look at Jared Bowen's first full season for us in the championship where he he was, you know, very strong over over the start of that season and then definitely dipped off at the end of that season because he doesn't have that fitness base that a lot of the older players will have. So it's a great learning experience for, for Kane and I'm sure he'll come back next season um, fitter and, and stronger and, and, you know, smarter for the season that he's had this year. So, 
Um, it's it's been a fantastic season by him so far, and I think measuring his output this season just on goals is probably not the way to go about it. So um, look, you know, if he if he can keep performing in the team and keep playing his role, I think I think that's definitely the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's. Yeah, there's there's no argument as to how important he is to us moving forward, and I think everybody recognises that. And it's it's going to be a joy to watch him grow. And as you mentioned, if Jared Bowen is that template uh, that we're hoping to you know uh, repeat, then uh, we hope that Ken Lewis Potter is that guy because um, you know he is a fantastic player for the club and obviously wants to be there. Definitely. Well, so so my MVP votes for this game, um, I, I and I suspect you know that they're, they're probably. Um, a pretty th- easy three to give. I've given Wilkes the three votes, um, hat-trick hero in that game. Um, I've gone Keno for the two votes for for, for getting his goal and for having a, a pretty decent all-round game as well. Um, and Magenis, the other goal scorer for the one vote. Um, uh, yeah, uh, what were your thoughts on those? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with all three. And um, I guess that play devil's advocate, any team that keeps a clean sheet in a in a 5 nil yeah. thumb probably, probably gets overlooked. So, I mean, credit to the City defence, but... As you mentioned, when you score five goals and, and they're your contributors, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with those three. Fair enough. Um, the next game, probably a, a bit more disappointing because we got off to a, a brilliant start in, in that game against Doncaster, up 3-1 at halftime. And mm-hmm. I, I, I personally, I mean, I was sitting there thinking at halftime that, you know, geez, okay, we've really found our, our scoring boots again. We're going to go on this brilliant run of form. Um, and it came crashing back to earth a little bit in that second half um, with Doncaster managing to get back to drawing at 3-3. You know, goal in the 102nd minute, um, no less, to to get that equaliser for them, which um, is is definitely a frustrating way to concede any game. Um, but, you know, trying to look at the positive silver linings, you know, Wilkes with another two goals to make it five goals in two games, which is um, a tremendous return for him. Um, and at least... You know, we'll talk in a second about the Ipswich game, but I, I would much rather be drawing a game 3-3 than, I mean, obviously you're getting a point out of it. You'd rather do that than losing a game 1-0, but I'd rather be drawing game 3-3 and at least showing that if the forwards are in that form and that they're scoring those goals and um, and, and we're looking a lot more creative and active than, than we otherwise have been. Yeah, I, the Doncaster one was an interesting one because I, I know it was a game of, of two halves, you know, apologies for using that cliche. I, I, I realise that it's, it's far overused, but it, what was so disappointing about it was you got the, the feeling that when we went to 3-1 that it was almost a game that we couldn't lose because we just looked by far the better team. And as you mentioned, the how prolific we, we seemed. We not only got the shooting boots on, but we looked like we could have easily got a couple more. In fact, even in that second half, um, it was two glaring opportunities um, that I think we hit the post on both of them or, or just missed it. There could have been six or seven goals in that game against Doncaster, and that's not that's not an exaggeration. It was just the way that the the game was incredibly open, and for us to only take a point uh, from that, granted, you know, it's a point against a a team that was was really flying at the time and is mm. a, a top six rival. Uh, it was it was just disappointing given the, the just the the fashion and the manner that we played in that first half. It was some of the best football I've seen City play. And I mean, it was interesting. You look at the subs that we made in that second half, and we took Doherty off for Slater. We took Magenis off for White, which I guess you could say is like for like uh, offensively minded, which in a way is a little bit unusual. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily think of us as generally going into our shells when we've had a lead in games. We've generally tried to run out games and, and if anything, kill them off. Um, 
I don't know if there was something in it about it being one of McCann's former clubs that he was, you know, perhaps wanting to just shore up the win or, or, or something like that. But it did feel a little bit like those substitutions were a bit more negative and uh, sort of invited Doncaster on in a way. Um, what, what did you or, or did you just say it as, you know, um, sort of, you know, viewing them with the hindsight, benefit of hindsight, having seen the result that perhaps those subs were, were just part and parcel? It's, I think it's a really hard one to comment on. I think Grant McCann is, is a manager that I find intriguing with as far as the, the substitutions that he has made this season. Um, there's often times where you can see games kind of fizzling out and you expect him to make a sub and, and they don't come. So, uh, you know, to find ourselves in, in the position that we were in and for him to, to go down that avenue. Like, if we're up 3-1 and he goes and makes, you know, substitutions like you've just mentioned, like, I don't necessarily have a problem with him yeah. trying something, but I, I, I just, uh, there's no real rhyme or reason with with how he seems to operate. And I think that, I mean, it would be a very interesting conversation to have with the man himself and, as you mentioned, find out what he was thinking at the time and, and why he was thinking that way. Um, he, He's certainly unpredictable and, He's done nothing to give me confidence that he would be, you know, a, a suitable manager in, in playoffs to kind of back, oh, mm. you know, and can can make some really smart decisions and read the game here uh, for us. And and that concerns me a little bit. In saying that, I think that we still had the, the chances that, you know, we didn't take. And so you could look at the substitutions he made if we end up taking one of those chances and, you know, go up 4-2 or, um, you know, go on with the game and, and win comfortably, well, then he looks like a genius. So it was just, it was an, it was an odd game with some more Grant McCann decisions that I, I don't think were, were too absurd, but at the same time, um, you know, again, unpredictable. Yeah, and, I mean, it's interesting because, I guess, earlier in the season, it did feel like, um, I'm trying to think. I think it was the Crew Alexandra game. It was somebody very early in the season where it was nil nil, and he and he did make a few really good subs towards the end of the game that won us the game. But it does feel like whether it's the pressures getting to him, whether it's I don't know what it is that later in the season you're right. It it doesn't feel like there's that sort of game changing plan in place. And as, as you're saying, like that's the 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 most worrying scenario is the playoffs because that is yeah. the most pressured situation where. Um, you sort of wonder or worry that would the pressure get to him a bit too much? Would he be a bit frozen with indecision on do you make the changes, don't you make the changes, do you you know sit on a 2-0 lead or do you go for the third to kill it off? So um, it, it's a really worrying situation in that sense. Um, you sort of hope, I guess, that we don't get to the playoffs, um, you know, we go up automatically, but um, I guess that's a, that's a problem for another day. But, um, you know, it, it was an interesting game. I think the referee played a part in the result as well. I, I, I think, I think that was the game where Doherty was trying to be treated for a groin injury, and and the ref basically gave him a yellow for for time wasting and getting off the field to be treated, which was um, a bit bizarre. Um, and then, of course, you know, the penalty was reasonably soft, but seemed as if he was sort of caving to pressure from a non call earlier. Um, and then, you know, the final goal coming in the you know twelfth minute of injury time. Uh, and all the kerfuffle around that as well. So, uh, you know, external factors are well at play in um, in that result. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you could kind of see it happening in some ways that we the city defence was sitting deeper and deeper, although still looked incredibly dangerous on the counterattack. But mm. because we kept dropping back, and as you mentioned, there was a, a, it almost felt like any time a ball went into the box and, and made any kind of contact, there were the Doncaster appeals were were outrageous and you can only imagine what that would have been like in a in a packed stadium 
as well. The fact that, you know, we're still playing in COVID times, like what what would that have done to influence the referee's decision? Yeah. I guess that just speaks into, again, like it doesn't matter what team you're playing in this division. If you're going to sit back and, and allow them the, the opportunity to, to attack, like some of the decisions that I've seen given by referees in League One this season are absurd. Like they, they yeah. really are some of the most head-scratching and you see it in the Premier League as well, in fairness. I mean, you know, Lee Mason in the, was it, who oh, was Brighton playing somebody the other day where he gave the free kick, blew the whistle to take it, they took it, he blew his whistle to, to uh, you know. So uh, it, it seems to be happening at every level, but you're right. In, in, in League One, it's, it's certainly happening a lot. And, and if we also, you know, to then like flick the switch here and say, well, it's it's very rare that we find City getting penalties. And, I, and I'm not to, yeah. it's not just a, a gripe because obviously we, we look at it through the City lens. But I mean, then we think that and then the game against Wimbledon, we end up getting <laughs> two penalties. Yeah. And so, it, 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 you know, the law of averages shows that it does ebb and flow, but it just, I think it stands as a stern reminder for us not to be um, one of those teams that is happy to, to kind of drop back and, and, and invite pressure because that doesn't seem to be a, a healthy formula in League One because goals seem to come everywhere um, and from every team. There's no yeah. real team in, the, in this league that doesn't hurt you. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, who who are your three uh, MVP players for this one? Yeah, it's uh, again like uh, you you feel like you've got to kind of go with the goal scorers. I thought Wilkes was was brilliant. Uh, George Honeyman as well. Um, he in, in a game that's end to end, you do expect him to kind of you know show up and and continue to be the the man that he is. Um, I think I also had Graves down for one point. Yeah, and I think I was pretty similar to you. I've just got Greaves and Honeyman around the other way. So Wilkes for the three, Greaves the two, and Honeyman the one. Um, you know, Magenna's probably a little bit stiff not to get not to get in the votes with um, with that goal. But I thought Greaves had a great game. And, and look, you know, Greaves is having a fantastic season, and we we do talk about him quite a bit. But um, it does it does it does sometimes sometimes get forgotten that he was a League Two player last season and was essentially a youth player who. Um, you know, by virtue from his point of view, you know, the relegation has opened that door for him at, at the club to, to come into the first team and, and he's taken it with both hands and, and, and it's looked fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that we we can't sing, you know, Jacob Graves' praises enough on this podcast because, again, we've we've talked about the how blessed we've been over the years in that the centre-half positions and for, for a young guy like him to come in and, and do what he's done. He's, he's great to watch and he's proving that uh, not only is he a League One defender, he could certainly, you know, be yeah. destined for bigger things. Absolutely. Um, you know, probably the less said about this game, the better, but it was sort of typical City uh, performance in a 1-0 defeat to Ipswich. Um, worrying signs, I guess, because it is a trend this season that when we have these sorts of games, we, we don't even manage shots on target. So, um, you know, you can sort of, you can, you can tell reasonably early in games like this, what sort of city performance you're going to get because we just look a bit lethargic, but, you know, out of ideas, uncreative, um, and just couldn't find our way through. And, you know, Ipswich took the lead because it forces us to sit back, which is a sort of an unfamiliar role for us um, where we can't dominate games. Um, it was just a tricky one for us to get back into and we just never looked like, uh, not, never looked like fashioning in a chance. No, absolutely not. I, I guess... That again, this speaks into the the type of league that League One is, with the games coming thick and fast. I mean, we've played an absurd amount of games, um, especially when you consider that we had a couple of postponed games in December. To, mm. to have played the quantity that we have, 
I can't. I still can't figure out how we've played the most games in the division. Yeah. I'm scratching my head because you think about the fact we made the EFL Trophy quarterfinals, and as you say, had a few postponements. I'm just thinking, how many postponements has everyone else had? That's right, and so it, it does get the that feeling that you know the fixture. The fixtures haven't been too kind for us. So, I mean, in some ways, we have to expect these slip-ups. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making excuses for how dour we were mm. against Twitch. But when the games do come in, in the fashion that they have been, it's it's not, you know, beyond the realms of possibility to have, have those nights where we are incredibly flat. And, mm. it, again, it continues to serve as that reminder that we can't take any team in this division lightly. Um, regardless of where they sit on the table, and you know, we I think it was three 0 in the in the opening uh, fixture against Ipswich, yeah. and um, and they didn't even look you know anything anything close to being in our level of uh, of play. And so for them to then come back and and do what they did to us in a, in a, a granted a dour one 0 performance, I mean, it, it just goes to show that what momentum can be like, and you know, each fixture on on the night it it can go either way. Yeah, and I think um, from memory with this game, I think Honeyman and uh, Doherty had injury doubts going into it and then both pulled up for the game. And I, I sort of wonder in retrospect if um, if starting both of them was was kind of cause for, for some of our issues that perhaps they weren't at their best. Um, I think from memory, I think Crowley started this game as well. And Crowley's just, he's a, he's a weird player because he, he's one of those players where you look at him and he looks like he's got, you know, everything to his game and he looks like a fantastic player. Yeah, Crowley started in that one. Um, and and yet he just doesn't seem to fit the system, unfortunately. And it seems as if that whenever he starts, uh, it's it's almost like we're just missing a piece to our game. Um, I think you look at, for instance, Alfie Jones is almost a completely different player to Crowley, but you stick him in that midfield three and he can sort of anchor it and let Doherty and Honeyman play that freer role. And suddenly we look much more potent. Whereas you put Crowley at the, the tip of the three instead, and you sort of have Honeyman and Doherty at the base, I suppose, or ro- rotating. I don't, re- you know, a bit more free. And we don't, we don't somehow less, look less creative. It's a really bizarre sort of situation. Yeah, it is, and particularly when you consider how much of a great passer of the ball Crowley is. I mean, I loved watching, and we'll, we'll talk about it shortly. But the, even in the Rochdale game, when he came on late in the piece, mm. it just like he was was full of energy and uh and, and some of his service was uh, unbelievable and i mean that was you know could be a, a blueprint for how to use him moving forward but i yeah. agree he doesn't he doesn't seem to sit the uh, fit the current system that city play under with you know with the way that we run our midfield but um that's not to say that there isn't still um you know roles for him and yeah. it certainly does have a use at, at city but it will be interesting to see how McCann, you know sets up his team and, and tries to get Dan Crowley involved. Yeah, no, fair enough. And uh, look, I mean, it's tough to pick three votes in a game like this um, with, with such a sort of average performances. Um, you know, I'm sort of going back on my words a little bit because um, I'll, I'll say, you know, Elder for the three votes, but then I do have Doherty and Honeyman as the two and the one in this one just because it was such a flat performance all around. I still thought that they, in that midfield three, were were at least trying to create something um, as as lethargic as they were. This game was so forgettable for me. I didn't even do a three-two-one. So let's uh, let's stick with the three-two-one that you've got. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think, <laughs> and, and I guess the sad the sad part is, Alex, it's we're we're not you know unaccustomed to these these dour performances every now and then. And and I think that mm. that's you know when we when we look at the run in and the the fixtures, we've got an incredibly favourable run between now and the the end of the season. 
um, there's going to be a lot more of, of these type of games uh, midweek where we're backing up and, you know, it's the third game in seven or eight days or whatever it is. And, and they will be the crucial ones that we, we need to get points from. Yeah. And I mean, look, we, we'll look at we'll look at the the Rochdale game in a second, and even with the Wimbledon game, I think from memory, um, the sides around us were dropping points um, over these last two games, and and the results have all started to go our way. And it sort of underlines your point that it's such a uh, an unpredictable league, and, and points can be dropped from anywhere, goals can come from anywhere, and and as you say, everyone is you know. There's never been a season like this where you're essentially playing every single midweek. We've had a game every single midweek other than those postponements, um, which is just, you know, it's so, and you think players have had limited pre-seasons as well. Um, No, not really any international breaks. I think there was one or two early in the season, but that was it. Um, It it must be so tough on these players to be backing up week in, week out. And it is a huge strength of our squad that we have as deep a squad as we have. Um, and it will be used to its limits to get us through this season. And, um, you know, I think I think it's testament to the squad that we're in the position we are. And we do have to remind ourselves that, at, you know, come the start of the season, we were sort of saying that a mid-ta- mid-table finish would be adequate and that we yeah. didn't really have aspirations for promotion. Or if we did, it was sort of a, well, we should be promoted, but who knows what's actually going to happen. Um, so our, our expectations have been raised quite substantially. Um and it's on the back of the squad performing in the way it has. And, and speaking further into that, you do have to remember the mentality that the, I guess the respectfully, the lower teams in in League One, what they think about you know City turning up to their to their stadium or visiting the KCOM. Like we are in their eyes a big club, and particularly from the the fact that we've sat in the in the top couple of places from mm. the, the beginning of the season is you know those opportunities to come and pick off a, a weary or you know wounded tigers outfit midweek after a, a long stretch of games is exactly how they look at look at that fixture against us and i think that speaks even in more to to the mentality that we have to have we have to you know approach games like we are a, a better side and we have to play fluent football and regardless of of whether we're tired and all the you know whatever excuses that you do kind of come up with over a 45 plus game season is the rotation of the squad is critical we need to make sure that all the players are getting involved and making sure that we're able to manage the the workload that the players are under definitely definitely well look we did get back to winning ways against Wimbledon with a 3-0 win and as you sort of referred to before we did we did get a bit well I don't know if you call it lucky we we were fortunate we got two penalties in that game Um, I guess the big sort of talking point out of this one that split the fan base a little bit was uh, Wilkes's reaction to you know, I, I think from memory, he uh, he was a bit frustrated that he hadn't been past the ball earlier in, in the play where he, he was probably in a good position to score. So when he sort of earned the chance to, to score a penalty, he, he grabbed the ball, wanted to take the penalty. Um, I, I'm not I'm not so much... Uh, I, I sort of fall somewhere in the middle on this one where I'm not so much frustrated that he wanted to score the goal. I think it's great. I think if you asked any of the 11 on the field, they'd all say they want to score a goal. It's more the fact that when the captain comes over to you and says, give the ball to the penalty taker in Magenis and he shoves the captain, that's where I have a little bit of a problem. I think it's great if they've if they've cleared the air afterwards and it's all gone, then that's great. We can all move on, draw a line under it. That that was my only concern with it. I, I don't know. How did you say it? Yeah, I think we we had a, a quiet conversation on on a messenger about this as it kind of as it kind of happened, or I believe it was the next morning. Mm. And I guess there's a few variables to think about is 
that tenacity from our from our striker in, in Malik Wilkes of wanting to to get on the the score sheet again, uh, you know, granted whatever the circumstances are, I, I really enjoy that, and I think I, I share that you know that same uh, thought pattern as you in in regard to that particular aspect. There was a few things that, as I kind of unpacked it a little bit more, was thinking about the fact McGinnis had already scored. So, you know, he was probably feeling confident from the spot, you know, yeah. as it was. And, and full credit to him giving up the penalty uh, once he saw the reaction that it had elicited from, from Malik Wilkes. And I think that he's kind of the unsung hero in this story yeah. because he, he could have just simply been greedy and said, yeah, I'll take it put it away, scored his double, and and I guess in, in so many ways that probably wouldn't resolve it. But Louis Coyle as well, I thought, even though he copped the the push from Wilkes and was clearly unhappy about it, he was very quick to dismiss it afterwards. And you saw yeah. that, you know, their celebrations, he walked over, they had a quiet chat, and it seemed like Wilkes getting the goal had, that had, you know, been dead and buried. I'd, if, we, if, if he'd missed. <laughs> that's, that's, and again, like that could have changed the complexion yeah. of yeah. but. I'd be really interested to see what got said behind closed doors and, you know, at what uh, point, you know, what Grant McCann said to them afterwards and, you know, even particularly what Louis Coyle said to Malik Wilkes at the, when he went back up and and spoke to him. But, yeah. look, I, I think it was it was dealt with at the time. Uh, I'm not sure about, you know, the ramifications of it at training and, and whatever else happened, but it was great that I think from our perspective that he did score the goal and, you know, it was water off a duck's back or at least appears to be. But, yeah. um, you yeah. know, there probably is concerning in the sense that, you know, Malik Wilkes probably, you know, got some kind of reputation for his, you know, for his temper and <laughs> he's been yeah, a, that's true. a colourful character in the past. Yeah. So, um, and particularly with the with the off-field incident that, you know, that he was a part of as well. So, yeah. look, all of those things taken into consideration, I'm sure it will be dealt with. I'm glad that Malik Wilkes scored to keep his run going and it didn't upset the the role. But, you know, it's always worrying when you see, you know, your lead striker pushing your captain. Um, yeah, you know. and especially at 2-0 up. It's not like it was, you know, it's not like we were losing or, you know, it's not like we've been on a losing run. It's not like Wilkes has been out of form. It's not like there was anything to cause the frustrations as much as it did. It was a bit strange that, you know, you wouldn't really think at 2-0 up in a game that you would have, like, tempers fraying like that. But, um, you know, as we're saying, I mean, it's good to have that passion. It's good to see the players wanting to score and wanting to do well. That's always good. Um, and yeah, I go, when we get to our MVP votes, I've, I've sort of taken it into consideration when it comes to Magenis that, um, he's definitely the hero of the hour. And I just love the fact that when he gave the ball to Wilkes and he gives him the little shove as if to say, you'd better not miss this penalty now, you know, I've given you the chance, you know, tuck it away. And, and he did. So, uh, look, you know, it was, it was the best possible outcome. I, I don't quite agree with the people on, on Twitter who were, you know, sort of using any any excuse to bash McCann and to sort of say he, he should have pulled Wilkes off the ground, it showed he's soft or whatever. I, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I, I just think, yeah, yeah, as I sort of said, it starts and ends for me with the, the not listening to the captain. And, you know, you don't want that to set a precedent. You don't want the captain's word to sort of be undermined by that, but it doesn't look like it has been. So um, as we say, I think you probably draw a line under it. Um, but look, you know, talking about the game more broadly, this is the sort of game that, you know, you look at the result against Burden, you look at the result against MK Dons, um, you know, other games like that where we where we have dropped those points against a weaker side and um, made no mistake in this one to, to win the game. So, you know, starting to see, and, and, and in the Rochdale game as well, you're starting to see this turning the corner against these weaker sides, um, as you were alluding to before. 
Yeah, and that's uh, as we mentioned with the with the stretch of games heading in between now and the end of the season, we do have a, an incredibly favourable draw, and that has to be the the area that that City are able to pick up on. I mean, if it's if it's the criticism, we look at the table now where we're sitting in second. Granted that there's some teams behind us that do have game in hand, our uh, games in hand, and and that's okay. We've we've talked about we would rather points on the board. It's hard yeah. to criticise a team that is sitting in the automatic. Uh, positions, but I guess if you then take that a step further and say, well, well, what could it have been if we've taken points from the fixtures that we absolutely should have taken points from? Um, you know, we could be leading this league by ten to twelve points, and I know that mm. that's in a perfect world, and and we certainly don't live in one. But you know, if, if we're if we're going to be really honest and transparent with with how we assess City, it's it's not good enough that the positions we've allowed ourselves to be in to be sitting where we are. Um, because, you know, a lot of our losses have come against teams that we are, you know, have played far better football on than the day and, and do have a far deeper squad then. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think you raise a good point as well, as it, you know, gets lost a little bit in these discussions of games in hand and whatnot, that yes, you know, these other sides, if they won all their games in hand, would be above us. And that's not taking into account, I assume, some of their games in hand are against each other, so that, you know, they, they can't all be winning all their games. Um, but you also take into account that that then means that there will be weekends or midweek uh, rounds of football where City will be able to rest and these other sides will be continuing to play these games just to catch up to City. So points on the board at this stage of the season is actually a better position to be in, even if, you know, it's not strictly in our hands because other sides could take win those games and take over us. But it means that when those sides are playing those games, we'll be able to rest the squad, we'll be able to have the training sessions, we'll be able to to rest injuries and, and rehabilitate injuries um, and focus on that run-in. So I think we're in a very strong position um, at this stage of the season to, to be where we are um, in the table um, and with the number of games that we've played as well because I think we're on the 33 games played, so we've got th- just 13 games left now. It's it's really sort of that that final third of the season, final quarter of the season um, to to get under our under our belts and and hopefully keep that spot in the automatic pla- uh, places. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's going to be we we say I feel like this is the a broken record, but it's going to be so interesting to see what see what happens. We we know what the challenge is now, and you know we do have some big games coming up. We we do play the the flying flying high first place Peterborough very shortly, but. Uh, it, it, with all due respect, this uh, a lot of the teams between now and the end of the season are, are, are very, very winnable games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, then just before we move on to the Rochdale game, I'll um, I'll get your three votes for the uh, MVP and then I'll give mine. Yeah, look, I, I'm i still going to give Wilkes a point here, but I, I think that given the, granted the incident, I don't think you can give him the three. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give Magenis the, the three. And I think that's probably based on the, the fact that he was able to give the ball up for the penalty. When I think if he had have gone and scored that, that second penalty, then he would have certainly been the, the three points um, victor anyway with the, with a brace. So yeah. I'm going to say three to him. Um, I'm going to give one point to Malik Wilkes. And I think, I think I'm still going to give two points to Louis Coyle, and I don't know if I've just got the the clouded vision because of his role in the in the penalty incident as well. But you know, it was a three 0 victory, and I think that you could probably, you know, prom- promisingly give points to to anyone in the in the squad. I don't think anyone was truly out of whack, and you know, it was it was a much needed victory. 
Um, yeah, look, I'm with you on Magenis for the three votes, um, particularly for for his role in that situation as well. So, so on the same train of thought there. Um, we were talking before about you know when you get a clean sheet, um, the defenders sometimes go uh, unnoticed. So I'm actually giving the two votes to Ingram. I thought he had a great game in that in that one. Um, I think he's sort of been in and out of the side this season. So. Um, it's sort of good to see him starting to get a you know, run of clean sheets with the Wimbledon and the Rochdale game as well. Um, yep. And then Burke for the one, I thought it was his, his best game in a while. You know, got that second goal, really well taken. Uh, he, he's come in for a bit of criticism lately for some of his displays. So I thought he sort of answered those critics quite well in, in the game um, on the weekend. Uh, yeah, on the weekend against Wimbledon. So um, got my one vote for that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, and then we're come to our last game. Um, just uh, a couple. Well, yesterday morning it was uh, birthday morning against Rochdale, two 0 win. Um, Wilkes with the opener with a fantastic goal coming in from the right, um, squeezing it through past the defenders, past the goalkeeper into the near post somehow, which was uh, fantastic. And then uh, it was an Osho own goal apparently, but uh, you know Tom Eves up to his old tricks like that Bowen goal that he stole at the uh, at, at at Middlesbrough. Uh, apparently he's been trying to claim it as his own goal. So don't think he's going to get this one given to him. But uh, look, you know, it, it was good to see, it, you know, it's, it's good to see him back out on the field. I know he, he hasn't had the greatest time in a City shirt, but, you know, talking about the need of a deep squad, um, you want all your players fit and uh, match fit and ready to go for the for the run-in. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he certainly celebrated it as if it was his goal on the pitch. Um, and yeah, it threw me off. It threw me off. I, I was I was sort of dozing during the game and I sort of went, oh, Eves has scored. And you guys kind of corrected me because I just saw him running off and celebrating. Yeah. Look, I, I think I've got a soft spot for Tom Eves and I know that that will come under uh, immense criticism because I think he's probably, if not the most slated City uh, personality on social media, he's probably second. I think probably behind well, uh, the, the Alums and McCann is probably the, the top two at the moment. But I do feel that Tom Eves does copper uh, uh, his fair share of flack. And, you know, and, and much of it is warranted. But I still just want to, you know, go back to the time that we're, we're talking about a guy who is very prolific at this level. And he's got a goal-scoring record, although it hasn't been reflected in his time at City. Um, you know, when, when his time at Gilliam, he, he's someone who has pedigree at this level. And, and I think that while ever he you know, sits on our roster and our match sheet and is in and about the squad. Every team that, particularly at League One, that, that sees Tom Eves as there is, is concerned about him as a threat. And I think, you know, rightfully so. He's, he's an incredibly passionate striker. And and I do like the fact that you can tell that, um, you know, he, he absolutely wants to be there. And was it Rochdale that we played in the FA Cup last season where we where we won 3-2, where he got the hat-trick? Was it, was it Rochdale or was it someone else? I thought it was another no. team. I'll have a look. But yeah, um, yeah so it, you, that's right. Yeah, so I think I think you're right in terms of um, uh, you know he has that goal scoring pedigree at this level, so it's good to see him in the squad and um, and back to fitness. But but then look, you know um, the, that that player again, Wilkes. I think he scored in um, four of the five games in this run of games that we've had. Yeah. Um, and what's that? You know, three, five, seven goals in five games or something for him. So he's in a he's in a tremendous goal scoring run at the moment. Yeah, and I just uh, while while this is the uh, the Malik Wilk show, uh, I think the goal that he did score is one of the biggest cr- criticisms that there is with Malik Wilkes that you kind of see everywhere is that he's too much of a ball hog and there's so many goals that he kind of costs us because he he doesn't provide the service and and pick those times to pass. But I mean that goal he he cut inside uh, I think two defenders and then kind of dribbled across the, to finish inside the keeper. Like if he doesn't have that selfish strikers mentality, there's no way that 
that he goes and scores a goal of, of that caliber. Yeah. So I think that we have to be, you know, whilst we're entitled to be frustrated, I think we have to take the good with the bad with Malik Wilkes and accept that, you know, he is that he is that striker who will frustrate you and, and hog the ball at times. But the individual brilliance that he does possess, he can hurt teams from, from anywhere. And, and that goal was a, a fantastic example. And certainly the fact that it came relatively early in the game uh, did a lot to, to kind of settle the nerves and was probably a big reason why we were able to go on and, and get that second goal because... Rochdale are a sneakily good attacking side. I know they didn't play fantastic yesterday morning, but if you look at the the goals they've scored um, in the the for and against, um, they've got a, a woeful defensive record, but um, their attack is is something to be feared. Yeah, and actually, it was Rotherham that we played last season. I, I get my R teams mixed up, so uh, it wasn't Rochdale in the in the FA Cup, so uh, had that one mixed up. But yeah, look, I. I think all, all all the best uh, wingers, all those best sort of like wide forwards um, are selfish by nature because they want to take the ball. They want to cut inside. They want to score the goals. You, you know, Guziki and Bowen were the same um, yeah. as well as other wingers before them, Snodgrass, everyone like that. So it, it, it's part and parcel of that role. Um, and you want your strikers to be selfish because you want them to have that confidence. And he showed why because he scored that goal. So um, yeah. you can't you can't sort of pot him for that. Um, absolutely. And, you know, look, back-to-back clean sheets, back-to-back victories. Um, while I think pr- literally every other side around us dropped points, I think Peterborough were the only ones to pick up a draw. Um, although, although I will say, you know, sort of sneakily, um, Sunderland's starting to creep back up that table um, um, into fourth place now, um, you know, sort of five points behind us with two games in hand. So, you know, uh, I, I don't, you know, undefeated in five, really, looking at Sunderland's form. So, so they're sort of the new Doncaster, if you will. You know, Doncaster... Uh, we'll talk in a second about rivals around us and um, Doncaster losing Darren Moore to Chef Wednesday. But um, at one point, they were sort of that form team sneaking up behind us, you know, Accrington before that. Um, it looks like now it's Sunderland who's trying to crash that party of the top three. Um, but look, you know, results kind of going our way on, on the whole um, and it's really giving us every opportunity to to make that run for the um, automatic spots. Yeah, without a doubt, and I think that you know, as we've as we've flexed on Malik Wilkes this this whole episode, you got to remember that the the other two teams that are flying at the moment is uh, is Peterborough and and the, I guess the goals uh, that that have been scored by them are coming from Johnson Clark Harris. He's the the leading uh, League One scorer. I think he has something absurd, like he's maybe twenty three goals or. Uh, 24 goals somewhere around that mix and it's an incredible goal return and then there's also charlie white for for sunderland so yeah. i mean the two teams that are really starting to fly at the top you can see that the the strikers and you know i guess as you mentioned the statistics with wilkes for for city recently that seems to be coinciding with a, a great goal return from their from their marquee marquee guys that have you know been getting them the results and we need that to continue yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And look, um, I'll give my three votes for this game then um, before we move on to the previews. But um, sort of following on, I guess, from his heroics in that Wimbledon game, I'll, I'll give Coyle the three votes in this one. Um, I thought he was he was fantastic again from the back. Um, he's really sort of making it, it, it hard to press the case for Emmanuel to come back into the side because his performances have just been uh, top draw. Um, I've given Wilkes the two votes for his goal. I, I think it's just another fantastic display from him. Um, and I'll give Jones the one vote. I think Jones um, coming back into the side, um, you know, early in the season, it was it was all about Smallwood and what Smallwood gave to the side. But I think Jones is sort of proving that he's 
just as capable in that in that sort of um, sort of uh, lockdown midfield sort of role uh, that really frees Honeyman and Doherty up to be much more box to box and um, active up the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think Alfie Jones is a, has been a, an absolute revelation this season. It's it's great to see him back and, and playing in the manner that he is. Um, I, I I was I was similar in the sense of my three two one, but I um I actually gave my three three points to Wilkes, and that was purely because of that goal. I think that's one of the the better goals I've seen from in a city yeah. jersey well, for quite some time. It was it was really impressive finish. Um, the two points I gave to um, I gave Louis Coyle my two. I thought he was fantastic, and uh, yeah, he's as you mentioned, like to be keeping Emmanuel out of a squad in. Almost, well, certainly every League One team, but I think even most championship teams, Emmanuel would be starting. And so we, we have to keep, you know, seeing the praises of Louis Coyle because he he hasn't really done anything that warrants Emmanuel walking back into the uh, into the squad, but uh, or at least into the starting lineup. And and that's a, a tough thing to say because I don't think that Emmanuel ever did anything wrong to be out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went a little bit differently. My um, my one point I gave to Jacob Greaves. I thought he was he was great yesterday as well. Very nice, very nice. Um, well, look, that, that sort of brings us up to date on uh, on all the games that have been played. Um, what we'll do now, so obviously uh, we've played these sides earlier in the season, so there's not as much uh, history to go into in each of them. But uh, what I thought we'll do is starting with the Bristol Rovers game um, where we, we beat them 3-1 back in October. Um, we can talk about this game, but also talk about the, the games around us as well because we've got Lincoln playing Crew, Doncaster playing Plymouth and uh, Peterborough playing Burden. So I, I guess... I look at this game against Rovers and sort of think that looking at those other games, it, it is one that, you know, it takes on the added significance of needing the win because of the quality of the opposition for or for the sides around us. Um, uh, it's starting to get to that point of the season where um, you, you look at the sides that around us, the, the games that the sides around us are playing uh, and start to sort of um, and, and look out for their results as well. But Look, it's it's as you're sort of saying, you know, we're getting this run in now with these sides that we should look. It's it's as you're sort of saying, you know, we're getting this run in now with these sides that we should be beating. Rovers, you know, sitting in twentieth in the table with two wins in five, uh, is certainly a game that we should be winning and and using as a really good opportunity to to keep that pressure on the top two, or I guess on Peterborough and Lincoln. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, every every fixture is important, but. I mean, we, we talk about Bristol Rovers having a really poor run of form. It was, I think, only the, the middle of February where they beat Portsmouth um, convincingly. So it, it just speaks back into the, the unknown nature of these fixtures. And equally, you look at the, the games that, that our, our, our rivals or our, our top six, six opposition have and you think, oh, they should be beating those teams. It's, it's just as likely that, you know, we could do the right thing and, and turn Bristol over and, and they could drop points away and, you know, I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. So, uh, you know, as, as much of it is a, it's like a double negative. It's 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 great for us that we we do have those arguably easier teams, but uh, at the same time, you look, drop points against those teams, and as you mentioned, your your rivals pick up points against teams that they should be beating. Uh, that's what ultimately is going to make or break the the automatic uh, race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess sort of alluded to just before, but it's interesting as well with uh, Darren Moore leaving Doncaster and heading to Chef Wednesday. Um, there's a little bit of uh, bit of irony in it for the Doncaster supporters who've been giving McCann stick all season and, and praising Darren Moore for how fantastically he's been going. And and now he's, he, I mean, he's arguably, he's, well, not arguably, I think he's done a lot worse than what McCann did to them because he's leaving them high and dry halfway through the season or three quarters of the way through the season. Um, at least McCann left um, in the summer when they were able to bring in Darren Moore 
um, you know, and, and prepare for the season at that point. But, you know, now being left in the lurch, it looks like their owners are pretty unhappy that he's left as well. So it's not as if they've um, sort of, you know, given him their blessing to leave. Uh, it really sort of puts a cat amongst the pig- pigeons at Doncaster in terms of their promotion chances. And, you know, they were looking quite good uh, and that the wheels seem to have come off a little bit now. Yeah, I think there'd be a, a school of uh, City fans that would be more than happy to, uh, you know, drive McCann back there and uh, yeah. try, try and offload <laughs> in those comments. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how well received he would be, but um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it, look. It's an interesting uh, predicament, and, and I'm glad that it's it's one we don't have to worry about. Um, you know, you, you never want to leave your manager under in well, certainly in uncertain times, but particularly when you've got a um, you know promotion race. But yeah. again. Once the new manager comes in, I'm sure that they'll uh, they'll get their three points with the the new manager curse that that always seems yep. to be gifted and and you know I still think that Doncaster have a lot a lot to offer in this um in this top six particularly playoff uh, spot race um so they're not done yet definitely um and then it's the big one for us Peterborough midweek um lost to them two one at home back in uh, it was very early I think it was September or October. Um, and it, it seems to be the trend this season that, you know, whoever we beat in the first half of the season we've lost to and whoever whoever we've lost to we've beaten. So I'd certainly hope that that omen keeps up for this game. Um, and it, it's one of those games that you kind of go into weirdly confident because I just feel like City play better against the better sides, and which we've said sort of all along is that we, we have these poor performances against the weaker sides in the division. But we play the sides when they come at us um, and we do seem to perform better. I, you know, not not so much the high press that Ipswich play, deployed against us. I think we sort of struggle with that. But sides that that leave themselves a bit more open for the counter attack, um, I think, is where we thrive. So, um, look, I, I'm I'm excited for this game. I think this game would go a long way to deciding uh, the table at the end of the season. I'm I'm hoping it's not a draw. I'm hoping it's a de- decisive result because I think that sort of will tell the tale for at that point what the remaining 11 games will look like for us. Yeah, and you mentioned that that 2-1 victory that they had uh, when they visited the KCOM earlier, and that was the feel about that game that really did have... I, I still remember the the kind of the feeling in the air and, and how just... It was a great football match. There was, you know, some incredible attacking football and just a real... Um, what, what seemed like a kind of high-end championship fixture, one of the ones that, you know, we got kind of yeah. grew accustomed to seeing in, in our promotion charges. And particularly when, you know, we had a, a championship squad that was... Uh, was firing on all cylinders with Grzycki and Bowen. It just that that was the I guess the the way that we we seem to approach that game. And, and I just do wonder with the recent form of Peterborough if it's going to kind of have that same buzz. I I do think that Peterborough are starting to emerge as um, you know. And I, I said it the first time we played them. I thought they were going to be our biggest threat. Yeah. Um, and and I still believe that's the case. It's I'm surprised that they have you know taken as long to kind of get going as they as they have been. They they were there, then they disappeared, and now they seem to be back again. Um, and I would love to just as you mentioned, if if City can go and and take three points against Peterborough, I think that would be the the statement to the rest of the league and a really um, confidence arming statement to to really give us the self belief that that we are the team to beat. Yeah, and, and there's two there's two types of typical city there's the really disappointing um you know expect to win and and sort of drop the points typical city but the typical city that i've 
grown accustomed to really enjoying is going out and, and getting that sort of 3-0 win against a promotion rival that we saw earlier in the season against Ipswich, that we saw in the 4-0 win against Portsmouth more recently. And, and you know, we saw a few times in that second promotion season under Steve Bruce. Um, I, I've really grown accustomed to enjoying those sorts of typical city performances. So I'd love to see a sort of a 3-0 statement of intent against Peterborough and to really set us up because, look, if we look at these two games as really a gettable six points, then that would be 12 points from our last four games uh, and, you know, well, four, four wins from four and really putting us strongly back on that promotion push. And, you know, I sort of look at Lincoln's form starting to teeter a little bit. Um, I think they've they've uh, lost their last two and drawn the one before that, so they've only got one win in their last five. You look at Portsmouth with only one win in their last five. Um, I sort of said before, I guess Sunderland's the biggest threat with four wins in their last five, but um, all those other sides in that top six are all actually starting to look like they're in quite shaky form, apart from our, you know ourselves, uh, Peterborough and Sunderland. So if we're able to, to, to make it four wins in a row and, and knock off Peterborough in the process... Um, I think that puts us in a really strong stead coming into that last run in the season. Um, and look, as I said before, it, it also means that when those sides are playing their catch-up games, we can then sit back and, and rest with those points in the bank. Yeah, that's exactly right. Remember, there's still, I mean, we, we talk about these fixtures being crucial and they absolutely are, but we're still talking about, we're looking down the barrel of what, 13 more games or 13 more mm -hmm. fixtures of our own. And then as you mentioned, more for, for our opposition. So, I mean, there is a, a long, long way to go, but you know, you do, you put yourself in the conversation and you knock over the teams that, that are really, um, you know, at the top of the tree. It, it just goes a long way for not only the the score and the table, but the mentality as well. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, you know, well, I mean, look, there's there's a long way to go, but I think, you know, you blink and, and suddenly it'll be another half dozen games gone and uh, we'll be looking at the last sort of handful of games. So uh, it can creep up on us quickly. And and I think, you know, we, we kind of keep saying it, but I think that sort of emphasises why it's a great thing having the points in the bank already because those sides will, will start to, you know, you know, one win in five for Lincoln, you start to think that they're going to be scrambling for the wins to to pick up the points on us. Um, yes, they've got the two games in hand, but if if they lose those games in hand, then it, it suddenly tells a completely different story. So I, I actually, I don't know when those um, catch-up games are scheduled to be played, but I think... I'm hoping that that's not sort of, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season. I'm hoping it's in the next month because that then gives us a much clearer picture in the uh, in the final run-in on uh, on where we stand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, long yeah. way to go. It's, it's going to be a, an enjoyable ride. Enjoyable ride, absolutely. As has this episode, it's been an enjoyable one. So uh, thank you for joining me for it, Logan. My pleasure, Alex. It was good fun. <laughs> No problem. And uh, look, thanks everyone for listening in. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, we've been off for a couple of weeks, but it's good to be back. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, the last few games in the run in um, over the next uh, month and a month, month and a bit, I guess. So look, it's going to be an exciting ride. And until next time, come on. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group, or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning back, cause you're Amber and Black till you die.